we grow up telling our kids, hey, don't worry about it. Monsters aren't real. They think they have monsters under the bed. They think they have monsters in the closet. And we instill in them that, hey, that's Hollywood. That's in comic books. That's on your favorite cartoon, whatever it is. But monsters aren't real. And then something happens. We grow up and we realize that monsters are 100% real. They might not look like they look on television, and they may not look like they look from Hollywood, and they might not be described the way they're described in our favorite book that we read, but every day we come in contact with different people, with different personalities, that so many times are literally monsters and are trying to destroy our life. So I thought, hey, October would be a fun time to look at the different monsters that we grew up around and talk about how we deal with those people in real life. And I'm excited about today. I've got to confess something to you. It's kind of weird. It's kind of, kind of odd, but I've always kind of been into vampires. There's just something cool about a vampire. I mean, the whole live forever thing, like I, I want to live forever. Like I'm that guy. Like, like dying freaks me out. Like I've shared this with you before. I'm 43. When I turned 40, 40 was hard for me because I had realized that I had lived longer then I'm going to live. Let's be honest, I'm not making it to 80. Someone's going to shoot me. Someone's going to kill me. Someone's going to run me off the road. Christine is going to poison me. Something is going to happen. So I'm of the reality that I get it, man. It was very sobering to me because I, I, I evaluated my life, and though I had accomplished a lot, I was like, man, I don't feel like I've accomplished what I should accomplish. So when I think about a vampire and you get to live forever, man, that seems really appealing. And, and we had this fascination with vampires in our society. I mean, the Twilight series is some of the best-selling books of all time. Um, Vampire Diaries, back when it was out, and True Blood, man, were some of the highest-rated television shows that were out. Movies about vampires are just hot. There's just something that we dig about vampires. Like I said, they live forever. They're mysterious. They're presented as these sexy beasts, which I get, because here's the deal. If you've got thousands of years to work on your game, you ought to have some moves, you know what I mean? You ought to know every good pickup line. You ought to know everything. It ought to be easy to be sexy. 43 years on the earth, not as easy to be sexy. Um, vampires are just the stuff. You know, the number one costume every year for Halloween is some type of vampire. And, and in many ways, we've kind of glamorized vampires to the point that we actually forget what and who they are. At the end of the day, a vampire is a blood sucker. In order to live, in order to stay alive, they literally have to suck the blood out of something that is living. And that might seem cool. They might seem cool, but at the end of the day, vampires are just stone-cold killers who at the end of the day are doing whatever they can to survive, and they do not care if they have to destroy you in the process. Now, here's the reality. We all know some vampires. We all have those people in our life who it seems like the only way they can survive is if they try to suck the life out of us. They drain us. They wear us out. They manipulate us. They um, critique us. 
There's just something about certain people that no matter how much you enjoy life, no matter what type of zeal you have for living, no matter how focused you are on going after your purpose and you're living your best life now and you're doing whatever you can to live the dreams and the visions that you have for your life, you always have some type of people. And here's the sad thing about those people. Most of the time, it's, they're very close to you. And they come along and they try to suck the life out of you. Because misery loves company. And I was thinking about this because that is a very broad topic. What do you do with someone who sucks the life out of you? Because, man, there's so many ways. I could do a 52-week series on vampires and the different type of vampires that suck the life out of you. But for me personally, and what it seems like I've been talking to people lately, there's no greater area in our life where people will suck the life out of you like those who excel in criticism. Those who excel in tearing other people down. Those who almost seem to thrive on sticking their fangs in your neck and sucking everything that is joyful out of your life by criticizing every move you make. They know better for your relationships. Hello. They know better on how you ought to run your business. Hello. Listen, you act like in a white church today. I get it's new weather, you're chill, you're like, man, it's so nice, the wind's blowing. You watch football all day, you drank a lot of alcohol yesterday, and you're chilled. But you are freaking killing me today. It's like being up here on an island, like, you're just quiet. So let's try this. One, two, three, and you say amen, okay? One, two, three. Amen. That sucks. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Amen. Now, as I'm preaching, and it connects with you, just say something. You're saying, well, and don't pull this BS on me. I hate when you do this. I would have said something, but I was so into the sermon, and it was so deep, I really didn't feel like saying anything. I don't care. Quit being selfish and feed the preacher's ego for a minute, okay? I'm honest. Real live vampires, and they're everywhere. <laughs> you know, if we were dealing with mythical vampires, it'd be real easy to kill them. You know, a, a wooden cross, throw some garlic on them. You know, or is it wooden steak? Wooden steak, throw out the cross. You know, some holy water, some sunlight. I mean, you can kill mythical vampires. But man, real life vampires, especially the kind of vampires we're going to talk about today, they're a lot harder to kill. So today, the monster that we're going to deal with today is that monster of the critical vampire. The critical vampire. And I think it's just such an important topic to talk about because, again, I am convinced that there's no area in life, and maybe I'm only preaching to me today, but there's no area in life that literally drains people like the area of criticism. No vampire is more powerful than the critical vampire. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that person in your life who never has anything positive to say. I'm talking about that person that no matter what you do or what you're going through or what you're involved in, they always have something negative to say. Like, like, like you can go buy your dream car, you've saved up, you've earned money, you paid cash for it, man, and you pull up and like, yeah, I had a buddy, I had a car like that, man, it broke down in two weeks. Like just that a-hole, you know, the critical vampire I'm talking about that person that literally tears down every single person around them and they suck the mojo out of you in the process. 
I'm talking about that person that no matter what they're going through, talking to someone Friday night was telling me about this new relationship they were in. It's so great. I've never been with a man like this. He treats me so well and he respects. And she's going on it. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. Then you know what she said? But I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm like, good Lord, you negative hag. Like, I've known you for 15 years, and you, you've been wanting a great relationship, and you've told me that you feel like it's missing in your life, and you finally have one, and you can't even give the guy a chance because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. What if the other shoe drops? Then it drops. You deal with it then. Man. I, I, I'm talking about that person that when they give you a compliment, it seems like it was the hardest thing. Or they give you a compliment, but it has that but at the end. Man, that's a good show Friday night, Gary. But why can't we just stop there? It's a good show. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Come on back, buddy. Critical vampires, they'll destroy you. <laughs> How many of you raise your hand and say, man, I have someone in my life that is a critical vampire. They're just negative. I, I how many of you have someone in your life that you truly love and you like and you enjoy being around them and you want to have that relationship, whether it's a friendship relationship or a family, but you just find yourself not wanting to be around them because they're so negative. They're so critical. Hello, my name is Gary Lamb and I'm around people like this all the time. They drain you. They suck the life out of you. They're vampires in every sense of the word. How many of you would say I'm sitting, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. No, you're sitting right to them. A lot of times I will teach you principles and I will tell you this statement. I haven't dealt a lot with this, but I've studied it out and here's how these issues should be handled. Or I will tell you, hey, here's an issue that I've struggled with and I'm going to be a hypocrite today because I'm going to tell you how you ought to deal with it, but I'm going to confess to you that I don't always deal with it that way. But today I am going to tell you this. There is not a subject that I am more qualified to teach on than the area of criticism. I can't walk down the street in this city without being criticized for 15 years now. I moved here 15 years ago, and I started a church, and man, and, and immediately there's been criticism. I, I've dealt with a lot of critical people and a lot of criticism and over the last 15 years I have dealt with it in a lot of wrong ways I have learned how to deal with it in a proper way I have then learned how to deal with it in a proper way and chose still not to deal with it in a proper way and still deal with it in the wrong way there's still situations where I go back to step one and I'm still not even doing that step right much less trying to get to the point where I have peace with criticism but I am smoking what I'm selling today I get it. I get criticism. There, there's not a week that goes by that I don't get some email from some religious person in this community telling me how horrible I am. There's not a week that goes by that I don't get a Facebook message from somebody telling me I can't believe blah, 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 blah. There isn't a week that goes by that one of you don't contact me about somebody you know that's like, man, they found out I went to your church and bam, 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 bam. Criticism, it just comes with the job. If there's anything I'm an expert in dealing with, it's dealing with criticism. Now, let me tell you this before I go on. I wish I could get up here today and tell you just to get over it, like the song says. But criticism 
it always hurts. We're human. No matter what type of steps you have in your life and no matter what type of biblical response you have to it, at the end of the day, we're human beings and criticism hurts, but we can learn to get to the point in our life that we learn how to process criticism and what criticism we should listen to and what criticism we should not listen to. (laughs) Don't let it bother you, Gary. Sometimes it bothers you. Because normally what they're criticizing is something you've put your heart and your soul into. So the question becomes is how do we deal with criticism? Is there a proper way to handle this monster? Is there a proper way to handle this vampire, the critical vampire? Jesus tells us that we're to love people. But the problem is I don't always want to love certain people. What about the times when Jesus tells me I'm to love people, but I'm dealing with critical people, and instead of loving people, I just want five minutes in a room with them to beat the hell out of them? Now, I know you guys never struggle with that, but I do. Okay, you guys are perfect Christians. I'm the struggling pastor. Those are thoughts that go through my mind sometimes. (laughs) I struggled for years allowing critics to control me. I, I still, there's times I still struggle with it today, but I've got a whole lot better at it than I've ever been. Due to some activities recently in my personal life and some things that we are dealing with, my wife and I bringing a child into our home and have different people having opinions of that, there's been a lot of criticism lately. And I have found myself having to go back and process through these steps on how you deal with criticism. Because normally here's how it works for me. I get victory in dealing with church criticism. I was on a podcast this week and somebody asked me, it was a wrestling podcast, and they said, man, it seems like you deal with a lot of heat for the way you pastor, but you never respond to it and it doesn't seem to phase you. I said, it doesn't phase me at all. I've been doing it 20 years. I deal with a lot of criticism with Southern Honor Wrestling. It's been a year. It doesn't really affect me. But normally what happens is when a new area of criticism comes out, I have to go back and I go through the process again because my, my skin hasn't got tough enough yet in the new area. And so I'm going to tell you some things. I was journaling the other day. Someone was actually talking to me. I can't remember who I was talking to about criticism recently. I was throwing some things out at them. And it got me to pull out my journal. And I began to write down the phases, if you will, for me of how I deal with criticism. See, one of the phases is the explanation phase. The explanation phase. When I first moved to Canton, this was how I dealt with criticism. The explanation phase. I moved here 15 years ago. Canton was a very small town. It's a small town now. Fifteen years ago, it was a small town that was steeped in very religious activity, especially among the church. So I moved to town, and I'm me, and I said, man, we're going to start this new church, and we're going to meet in the movie theater, and there's going to be a rock band, and you come as you are, and you dress any way you want to, and we're going to do this, bam, bam, bam. And you can't imagine the critics that came out of the woodwork. When we started that church, no one had ever really seen anything like that. And everybody criticized to the point that I literally got death threats because of what we were trying to do. We actually had a group of religious people show up and picket our first service ever. In the name of Jesus, of course. And it affected me a lot. And then that was right when social media was taken off. So all of a sudden this amazing thing happened at that time that was so hot called Twitter. And every jack-off in the world had access to Twitter. And so everybody that was sitting in their mom's basement as a grown man because they couldn't afford their own place and they, they didn't have a job and they weren't busy so they could sit there and criticize everything that we said. 
and everything that we did. And literally, there became a blog that started where they would listen to my sermon, my podcast, every week. Every week, this is how pitiful their life was. And then they would do their own blog and podcast playing my sermon, stopping it during the process, and talking about all the things that I was wrong about. That guy was probably like a 47-year-old virgin who had never had a relationship, and, you know, mom took care of everything. But I never did figure out who the guy was, you know. But um, I always felt the need to explain everything. I thought I had to answer everyone who criticized everything. Anybody that would send an email, I would take time and I would respond. I would take every phone call. I, I thought in my head, if I can just reason with them, if I can just explain to them that what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it this way, I lived in this grand illusion that they would understand and they would want to stop their criticism. I, 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 I lived in this mindset that if I could just have two minutes with them, it's funny, when we started the wrestling promotion, I was the same way. People didn't like what we're doing. I thought, if I, if, I can just, if I can get five minutes with them, I can convince them that why we're doing it this way will work. And, and then it took me not very long to realize that most critics don't want an explanation. They want an argument. They don't want to hear the facts they don't want to hear the heart. They don't want to hear the reasoning. They don't want to hear the logic on why you are doing what you're doing. They really don't care. They just want an argument. They want the chance to shame you. They want the chance to speak down to you. They want the, the chance to tell you how they are right and how much you suck. And all the while, what they will do is they come along and they stick their fangs in your neck and they try to suck the life out of you. So it didn't take me long to realize that the explanation phase doesn't really work. And actually, the Bible backs this up. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 4, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Or you yourself will just be like him. Can I tell some of you something? When you get on Facebook and you start arguing about the things that you argue about, you become just like the person you're arguing with. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you become just like them. They don't want an explanation. They want an argument. And there's nowhere, no time that it's ever going to benefit you in dealing with criticism to just try to take time out of your schedule and explain it to them. Here's something you need to understand. You do not owe critics an explanation on decisions you have chosen for your life. They don't want to hear it anyway. Explaining to them is the most fruitless thing you can do when it comes to criticism. So I moved on from the explanation phase in dealing with criticism to the argument phase. A lot of you are here politically on Facebook. The argument phase. Anyone who had a negative thing to say about me, to say about the ministry, to say about our methods, to say about how we did stuff, this was dangerous for me. I felt the need to argue with them. And I developed this us-against-them mentality. I began to think everyone who wasn't doing things the way I was doing them or they were criticizing what I was doing, I thought, man, I have to argue with these people and I have to fight with these people and I'm not going to let them attack me. I'll go on the offensive and I will attack them. 
And here's the deal. You'll find someone, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who does us against the world better than me. It's kind of my wheelhouse. So what happens, I'd get in these huge arguments online with people. I, I, I'm the guy who wants to prove everyone wrong. So what I would do is the, the critics would come along and I would publicly argue with them. I would get on Twitter. Twitter, again, Twitter was hot at that time. And I would just go back and forth time after time after time arguing with these people. At that time, I ran a blog. And actually, the blog I ran was like named the number five most influential blog in the church world. And, and I would get on my blog, and I would just rail on these people. And I would call them out. And I would, because it's easy. I'm good at typing. I'm pretty good with my words. And I would just go to war with these people. And I was always looking to get my point across, no matter what, in any way I could. I thought I could argue people into seeing my side. The problem with the argument phase is this. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. So what I'm doing is, instead of doing what God has called me to do, or what I feel like my purpose in life is, I'm giving the critics lead way i'm giving them too much time they're taking all my time and in my arguing i'm not doing what i feel called to do and what's the point of arguing because that's what they want in the first place oh it's, it's so amazing it goes right back to the bible again the bible says in second timothy do this don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels he's like why are you arguing this is paul Paul was mentoring Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher. And he's telling him, Timothy, Timothy was young, dumb. I won't finish that phrase. He was young and dumb. And he wanted to fight with everyone and argue with everyone. And Paul's like, hey, kid, chill. Breathe. They think you're young. Cool, who cares? They're questioning what you're doing. Who cares? God called you. Quit sweating it. It was so bad that Paul's like, hey, Quit doing it. People are like, I don't understand the Bible. It's complicated. Let me break this down for you. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. You know what that means in the original language? It means don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because all it does is produce fighting. They want to argue. They have no life. They have no job. They have no friends. They have nothing that they've accomplished in life except the computer in mommy's basement where they can fulfill their self-fulfilling ego by arguing with you. Why do you give them the time for that? Trying to prove people wrong will wear you out. So, so what happened to me is I moved past the argument stage and I moved to the angry Phase. Xander, you're so good, man, because I misspelled that in my notes and you didn't misspell it up there on the board. The angry stage. I kind of hung out here for a long, 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 long time. I would rephrase this to punch somebody in the throat stage. I've actually battled with this one a little bit lately, actually. There's a couple of people that if I was to see them on the streets, and if this out of the podcast, I don't want to go to jail. I'd probably beat the hell out of them. There's some people in my life recently that if they were on, I wouldn't pee on them if they were on fire. I'm just being honest. Well, that's not very passionate. Like I didn't say I'm very passionate. Like I'm just telling you, I'm just being raw and honest with you. 
So I, I'm not preaching at you today. I'm preaching with you today. I've been in this angry phase. I've been back, and I'm, I'm coming out of it. I'm good, and I'm, I'm mature, and I'm growing. I'm getting in the Word. But I, I can hang out in that angry phase. Problem is, it's against the Bible again. Remember that freaking Bible thing? The Bible says in Ephesians, check this out. It says, in your anger, now this is cool, in your anger do not sin. Bible doesn't say it's a sin to be angry. It's okay to be angry. But it says, in your anger, do not sin. Finding them on the street and punching them in the face, and if they were on fire not peeing on them would probably be a sin. So I can't do that. In my anger, I can't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Anybody ever went to bed angry? You go to bed angry, you're doomed to have a bad next day because I wake up angry. I go to bed angry, I got angry dreams. I wake up ready to fight. Like, I've had people literally tell me, man, did you go to bed angry last night? I'm like, I don't know why. Well, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, you're already cussing everybody at the gym. Well, that's a normal thing at the gym, but sometimes it's worse than others. Hmm. Problem with the angry stage is when I get to this stage, it affects everyone around me. It affects me because I'm angry. But then I'm miserable. I'm more miserable to be around than normal. I take it out on the kids. I take it out on my friends. I take it out on my wife. I take it out on the people I'm with. When I'm angry, because again, misery loves company, I want everyone to be angry. I want everyone to be mad. There's probably none of the phases that affects me personally more than the angry phase. When I'm angry, I'm not living life the way God is. It's hard for me to love people and love God when I'm angry. It's hard for me to love people when I want to punch people. When I'm angry, I'm not focused on what God wants me to be focused on. I'm not focused on what I feel my purpose is. Recently, I got to the point where, man, I couldn't even see the forest for the tree. I was so angry about a certain situation. And you know what happened is I got angry about that situation, which was a personal situation. And then I had some things affect me in my business world, and I carried the anger over to my business world, and I didn't deal with those the way I should have. I had some people do some things I didn't like, and I didn't feel like they were loyal, and I don't do real good with people not being loyal, but that's okay. But I got angry about it. Instead of dealing with it and processing and breathing and saying, hey, nothing I can do about it. How do we get bigger and better? I got angry about it, and it affected me for a couple of days. After it affected me a couple of days, I was able to step back and realize, man, I'm angry. I don't like being angry, and I was able to breathe. I said, now we've got to get this handled right. Now we've been able to handle it right and make the right decisions moving forward, but I couldn't do that while I was angry. <laughs> man, anger, it, it's rough. When you're on tilt, man, it's rough. I actually had a pastor friend call me. I don't have a lot of pastor friends, but I had one call me recently. This is about five months ago. He said, man, I was listening to a couple of your podcasts. I said, yeah, what'd you think? He said, why are you so angry? I said, I don't think I am angry. He said, oh, you're angry. He said, and here's the bad thing. You're angry about something. I don't know what it is. He said, but you're taking it out on everybody on Sunday morning, and I would imagine they have nothing to do with you being angry. And it convicted me. I realized I was in that. Man, we can't allow ourselves to be controlled by our critics. It's a dangerous stage. Now, these are all normal stages. I'm not beating you up when you go through them. They're normal stages. But they're not healthy stages. Sometimes you've got to go through the unhealthy to get to the healthy. Then there's the ignore phase. This is probably where I stay. And it's probably a lot better than the other three. But it's still not where we should be. The fifth stage is where we should be, and I'll get there in a minute. 
But the ignore stage is a good phase to be in. I've had to teach a lot of you <laughs> the ignore phase. I'm right now, I'm in the ignore stage. I just ignore critics. I don't care. I don't read their blogs. I don't listen to their podcasts. I discovered this amazing feature on Facebook. It's called Block. Remember we started that hashtag? I can't cuss anymore because I promised someone I wouldn't, but what was it? Block a what? Block a, oh yeah. What was it, Michelle? Yeah, I can't say that from the stage because Christina here on the podcast and I'll get in trouble for cussing. But we, we just said, let's block a bitch. Oh, I said it, my bad. It's an amazing principle. Did you know that when you block somebody, you don't see anything they say about you? Except someone's going to screenshot it. Normally negative people. Did you see what so-and-so said? So then you know what I do? I block them. It's amazing. Recently, I've been dealing with something, and I made a comment the other day. I said, man, I think things have died down. I ain't heard anything lately. And they said, oh, no, it ain't died down. They said, they blast you every day. And I was like, oh, do they? I wouldn't know I'm in the ignore phase. And they're like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Let them criticize. I, I like that I'm in their head. I, like, I'm living rent-free there. You know? And I'm just doing what God called me to do. I don't open the emails. I don't open their Facebook messages. I just ignore them. They want you to respond. They want a reaction. And then here's what so many of you do so many times. You get on there publicly and respond. And you've got a, let's make a number up. You've got a thousand friends on social media. And someone's criticizing you. And probably only 20 of the thousand friends even know that someone's criticizing you. But then you get on there with your passive-aggressive Facebook post. And now a thousand of them want to know who's criticizing you and why they're criticizing you. And they get involved and it escalates a whole lot bigger. And, and then you give the critics attention and critics love attention. You just get to the point you ignore them. And when you ignore them, it does one of two things. First of all, it really ticks them off. They can't stand it when you ignore them. They thrive on getting you fired up. They don't know what to do when you ignore them. It drives them nuts. I, I, I love some, I, I love all of you. Eh, I love all of you. I don't like all of you, but I love all of you, okay? And let me say, which ones don't you like? I'm not going to tell you. But I love all of you. But sometimes I know your heart's in the right place. But sometimes you come to my defense and I have to send you a message and say, hey, stop. Ignore them. They want you to argue with them. I just like arguing. Why? How miserable is that? Man, there's just peace in that ignore stage. And I'm, I'm 43, man. I'm, like, I'm in the stage where I want peace. And I am Gary Lamb, the king of drama. So for me to say, man, I want peace, man, I, I, the older I get, I'm like, I want peace. You know, if they legalized weed, I'd probably start smoking weed, and man, we'd be good, and, you know, I'd be, hey, just peace. But for now, I'm just going to drink bourbon, and sometimes bourbon calms me, and sometimes we fight, and I have to go back to the other stages. Who knows, you know? It really makes them mad when you ignore them. Or, you know what else it does? It makes them go away. Because they can't stand to argue with themselves. I can't believe I'm even going to tell you this. 
But there's a guy out there that has a fake Gary Lamb Twitter account. He's had it for like 10 years. And um, everything I do, it changes. So it was like Pastor Gary or something, blah, 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 blah. Then I got into barbecue festivals, and it was beer drinking Gary, even though I don't drink a lot of beer. And, and then now it's wrestling Gary. So he always, it's a parody, he always takes jabs at stuff. And so my wrestlers found it the other day. Like, we're going to go after this guy. I said, don't go after that guy. I said, why? I said, who cares? He's got 17 followers. <laughs> 17. I appreciate you want to come to my defense. I said, right now, he used to post twice a day. Now he posts once every three weeks. You get him fired back up, he's going to start again. Why feed it? Ignore it. And as you ignore it, they go away. (laughs) If you don't put fuel on the fire, the fire goes out. There's peace in the ignore stage. Nothing makes a critic more angry than ignoring them. (laughs) We used to have a guy who went to church here, and man, I loved this dude. But he was so critical. Everything was a criticism. Everything. I'm talking about the color of the chairs were a criticism. I was like, they were free, man. Like Scott Farley got them in a strip club. They're free. Like, shut up. Like he just criticized everything, you know. And he would tell me all over all the time, his favorite phrase, he's a drive crazy. I just, I just like to play devil's advocate. Devil don't need a freaking advocate. Like, shut up. To the point where I got to, I just ignored the guy completely. He would come in, I'd see him walk through doors, and I'd come back. I just couldn't be around him. And again, this was someone I was, one of the first people I met when I moved here. And eventually... He left the church over. You know what he left the church over? Gary changed. I used to always have time for me. Now he had no time for me. No, I had time for you. But you were so negative, I chose to ignore you. Because you brought me down every Sunday morning. Listen, you can't stop these blood-sucking vampires of criticism to come along, especially if you're successful. Especially if you're bettering yourself especially if you're chasing your dream, especially if you're living your purpose, especially if you have a vision for your life because they can't stand to see people succeed because they're failing. Man, Jesus had critics. You're in good company. He was freaking Jesus. He was perfect. Like, what are you going to criticize about the dude? Like he turned water into wine. Who's going to criticize that? Like he's like, all superheroes don't wear capes. Like dead people, boom, didn't stay dead. And they criticized everything. Every, oh, he, he brought that dead person back to life on a Sunday. It's a Sabbath day. You're supposed to rest. Like you're in good company. You just got to get to the point you ignore them. I love the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. You've heard me preach on it 10,100 times. It's my, it's my jam. Man, if you're a vision person, I don't care if you even read the Bible, you ought to go read Nehemiah. He was a pimp. Cupbearer went back to his homeland, rebuilt the wall, and took over the city and restored them. And he's up on the wall, and he's building the wall, and he's bringing hope back to the people and, and, and industry back to the city, and he's revitalizing this place, and he's killing it. But, of course, the critics came out. And the critics wanted to meet with him. And I dig this, dig this story. It said, when word came to send Balak, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, these are the people that couldn't stand that he was rebuilding the wall. 
the critics. When word got to the critics that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though by the time I had not set the doors to the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent this. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Come, let's meet. Hey, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. What's there to talk about, man? I'm fulfilling my vision. I'm working. I don't need to hear how you don't like it. What, come, but I, I didn't do it because they meant to harm me. Harm me. So check what he says. He said, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent this same message to me, and each time I gave them the same answer. Why are you listening to critics? Why are you giving them time? I'm in this business war with a group across town. I don't want to enlighten you on the drama that I create. That's the great thing about wrestling. It's all about drama. And I excel at drama. And recently, one of them reached and said, can we just meet for lunch and talk about it? No. I don't got time to meet with you for lunch. You say, Gary, you ought to try to keep peace. What a snake he is. I know everything he's doing behind the scenes. So what am I going to go do, eat lunch with him and let him tell me how he's not doing all that stuff and how he wants to get along so we can leave and he can keep doing the same thing? No. I'm just going to ignore him and put him out of business. Just saying. Damn, I ignored them. Some of you need to learn this. How about this? Other people's opinion of you is none of your business. Who cares? Who cares? It's hard at times to ignore. Trust me. I have been on blast recently with some people, and it has been hard to ignore. But you know what I've found out as it goes on and goes on and goes on, and we're doing what we feel is the right thing to do? Every time we get into the situation where the decision has to be made on the right thing to do, it always goes in our favor. Over and over and over. We just remain silent. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction. That's how you stay in the ignore stage. But here's the stage we need to get to in interest of full disclosure. Very hard for me to get to this stage. We really need to get to the compassion phase. The compassion phase. I, I, I've almost been there before. <laughs> but not quite. Not quite. I wrestle with this one hard. I see it in Luke 15. Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know the story of the prodigal son. The son comes home. The father is excited. And the older brother doesn't want to come in to meet him. The older brother doesn't want to come in to celebrate because the older brother's like, I never left. We never threw a party for me. <laughs> he, 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 he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't, and so the father goes out to him. The brother's criticizing the father. I can't believe you're throwing a party for him. He went and took his inheritance. He screwed everything up, and now you're going to throw a party because he's back. He was criticizing the father. <laughs> and the father just said, hey, chill. Everything I have is yours. I love you, son. I love you more than life. But your brother was dead, and now he's alive again. The brother didn't come out and blast him. 
The father came out and had compassion. He put himself in the shoes of the critic, and he said, I get why you feel that way. That's human nature. But let's look at the reality. <laughs> now, here's what we need to understand. With Jesus dealt with this as well. Jesus did weep over Jerusalem. The Bible says his heart was broken over Jerusalem. But he also went into the temple gates and turned over the ta tables. There's a time. There's a time to be bold when it comes to critics. But there's also a time when you respond to critics with compassion. Compassion doesn't mean you have to be their friends. It just means we honor them. And when I told you, remember I told you respect is giving honors. Something you, you earn respect, you give honor. I choose to honor you even though you don't deserve it. And sometimes we just need to honor the critics. We ignore them without bashing them. Look what Jesus said when he's hanging on the cross. They've just betrayed him. They're killing him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. There's sometimes you have to step back, breathe, and examine your critic and be like, man, what are they going through right now? Yeah, that guy's having marital problems right now. I'm aware of that. And he's angry. And he needs someone to take his anger out, and he's taking that on me. Now, that's not cool, and I'm not going to be his buddy over it, but I get it. Man, that dude's going through hard financial times right now, and he's bashing me, and I, I, I get it. Man, that guy doesn't understand what I'm doing in my business. And he thinks he has all the answers, but, but the truth is he tried the same business and it failed, and so he's just feeling like a failure right now. It's amazing what happens when we stop and we put ourselves in other people's shoes. And sometimes you've got to put yourself in the shoes of the critic. Again, that doesn't justify what they're doing, but it allows you to have compassion towards them. I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to get out of here early today. I'm hungry. Listen, I know I'm always hungry. So, <laughs> critics are going to come. There's nothing you can do about it. We need to try to get to the ignore phase. And when we get to the ignore phase, we need to try to get to the compassion phase. We're responsible for our own actions. We determine whether or not we allow critics to get to us or not. Our ultimate goal should be the compassion phase. Now, let me close out by saying this. All criticism is not bad. There is positive criticism. And while we need to understand how to deal with criticism, we also need to get to the point in our life where we're not so arrogant and prideful that we don't understand what positive criticism is. I'm dealing with some young men right now, and they don't understand positive criticism at all. They don't understand sometimes, man, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you get to the next level. But your ego's so big, and you're so young, but hey, I've been there too. You think you know everything, and it's going to hurt you down the road. But sometimes you've got to let them make those choices. But we've got to listen to positive criticism sometimes. It improves us. It stretches us. It grows us. So I have a criteria, and I've shared this with you a thousand times. I have a criteria on how I listen to criticism. The first question I always ask when someone's criticizing me, if I want to receive the criticism, I ask myself, do this, does this person know me? If you do not know me, then I'm not listening to your criticism. Do they know me? Do they know who I am, what I'm about, what I'm doing? That's the first step. If you know me, I might listen to you. Second question I ask is not only do they know me, do they believe in me? Because you can know me and still not believe in me, okay? 
You can know me and not believe in what I'm called to do. So let me give you an example. My mother knows me. Now let me get to the last one. I'll, I'll break these down for you. The last one is, does this person love me? Does this person love me? If the answer is yes to all three of these things, and they come to me and they give me criticism, then guess what? I do everything in my power to receive that criticism. So let me break this down for you. My mother knows me. She gave birth to me. She raised me. Guess what? My mother loves me. She loves me. I'm her son. What's not to love? That being said, don't miss this. There's a lot of areas in my life my mother does not believe in me. One of them is this church. My mother doesn't think I should pastor a church. My mother has never stepped foot in this church. That's cool. But guess what? Because she only meets two of the three, if she offers criticism in the area of this church, I don't listen. Now, back it up, my mother. She knows me. She loves me. And she believes in me as a father. My mom will tell you, man, you're a great father. You love your kids. So if my mom comes to me and offers criticism when it comes to my parenting, guess what? I don't always agree, but I'll step back and I'll listen. See, it's not just a clear-cut issue, but when it comes to certain things, do you know me? Do you believe in me? Do you love me? In my business ventures, there's a lot of people who come to me and offer criticism. They don't know me. I've never met them. They don't love me, because you don't know me. You don't believe in me. And while everything you might say might be true, I'm not going to receive it because you haven't met the criteria in my life. Now, I'm not saying that's some biblical criteria. But you've got to have some kind of boundary on who you receive criticism from. For me, this has seemed to work really well. Do you know me? Do you believe in me? Do you love me? If it's not all three, I, I don't listen to that criticism. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I deal with a lot of young people. I'm 43, I deal with a lot of young people. I'll give you an example. Friday night, we had a wrestling show here. We went upstairs after the wrestling show and they made a fatal mistake. They asked my opinion. You asked my opinion. What did you think of this match? I said, I thought it was a great match. I said, but I think it was the worst match of the night. I said, halfway through the match, y'all did this, this, and this, and you went too long and you lost the crowd. Immediately, I saw him butthurt, upset. And I looked at him and said, don't ask my opinion. And I looked at him and I gave, oh, I said, you need to understand something. I know you guys. I've known you over for a year now. I believe in you guys or you wouldn't be here. And I said, you need to understand something. I love you guys. That's why I pour so much into making you guys. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I said, but I can sit here and blow smoke up your butt and you can never improve. Or I can tell you the truth to the question you asked. Because I never give criticism on show night. It's not the night. But you asked. No, we get it. Blah, 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 blah. It was four people. It was four people in the match. Three of the four came back to me the next day and sent me a message. Thank you so much. I didn't want to hear it at the time, but you were right. I wasn't trying to blast them. I wasn't trying to be mean to them. I was trying to help them. And I've earned the right to help them because I know them, I love them, and I believe in them. And I've proved that over a year now. The other one, they'll be gone soon. Because, again, they can't understand criticism. And what's sad is the one who can't take the criticism is probably one of the most talented. 
but they're already getting a reputation all over the state for the same thing, and people aren't using them anymore. It's sad. Criticism. You got to know when to take it and when not to take it. Some of you, criticism's killing you because you're not getting to that ignore and compassion phase. And then some of you, criticism's killing you because you don't know it's positive criticism and you won't listen to it. Criticism, the vampires will kill you. How are you going to deal with those monsters? Let's pray.